Well, thanks, Pete, and good morning. Good to see you here. Uh, I'm going to pray. Handy if you had a Bible open there at 1 John chapter 3. Uh, but let's ask for God's help as we consider his word together. Father, we thank you for the day you've blessed us with. We thank you for uh, the reminder uh, in that passage we just read of your great love for us. Father, we pray that you might um, both challenge us and equip us uh, to love others with the love that you have shown to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love one another. You've probably heard that more than a few times in church if you've been to them. Uh, I'm sure it's not news to you that Christians are expected to love one another. Um, but of course that doesn't mean that it's an easy thing to do, does it? Or even that we ourselves are taking that seriously. Love one another. I think it's one of those things that's easier said than done. Uh, perhaps like uh, learning another language or starting a new exercise habit. Um, you know, if you just say, I'm going to do 30 minutes a day of exercise, well, that's certainly easier said than done. Um, telling people to love one another, I think it's one of those things. Because at one level, the concept of loving other people, that this is what we should be doing, it's not difficult to understand. It's not a complicated thing necessarily. But it is one of those things that's extremely hard to do. Uh, for me, it's a bit like getting out of bed in the morning. I don't know who that person is. Um, I resent those people. I've never been a morning person. That is not me. This is more me. The worst time of the day for me is that moment when the alarm goes off. Um, I go for the snooze button every time. It's not that I don't understand the concept of getting out of bed. I know what I have to do. I know I need to do it every day. I know that no good ever comes from staying in bed, but I find it just hard to do. And so it is with this command to love. Easier said than done. And I think that's why we need to be reminded of it, why we need to be challenged about it over and over again, as John does here in this letter. In fact, he does it repeatedly. Um, you might remember that we looked at this only two weeks ago, uh, this very same idea. And he reminds us again here, verse 11, chapter 3, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And even as John writes this, he acknowledges, doesn't he, that he's not telling them anything they don't already know. He says, if you've been a follower of Jesus, you would have been hearing this message about love from the very beginning. It goes along with the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus. Like I said, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. This command that Jesus gave his disciples to love each other as he had loved them. This command which is tied to our very relationship with God. To belong to Jesus means that you are someone who loves. The life that Jesus brings us is to be a life marked by love. And that's the point John goes on to make as he continues from verse 12. He says, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. John says that hate is something that belongs to the old world, the old way of life. And it's a world that Cain is used here to represent. If you remember the story, Adam and Eve had the two boys, Cain and Abel. Abel's offering is accepted by God. His motivations were righteous. Cain's was not. As John reminds us here, his were, were evil. We don't know much more about it than that, to be honest. We do know that in a jealous rage, Cain murders his own brother. Hatred, murder, death itself. This is the stuff of the, the old life, of sin. And John says to those reading and to us here this morning that, that that's just not you anymore. You belong to God now. And like oil and water, hate and the new life you've been given in Christ, they do not mix. Now, we spent a bit of time a couple of weeks ago um, talking about hate and thinking it through, so I'm not going to be dwelling on that again today, except to repeat that within the church, within the life of a, a church community, hatred is something that we simply can't afford. A church that's got people in it that are hating on each other is destined to rot from the inside out. It's like a poison within a community. And so we need to be ruthless with weeding it out because it simply doesn't belong. So what should our relationships look like? Well, it all sounds very nice to say, don't hate but love, uh, but, but what does that look like? How do we know what love is? I feel a song coming on. I'll spare you that. John does want to tell us. He wants to explain to us and, and put a bit of meat on that bone for us. He says, let me tell you what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If you want to know what love looks like, says John, take a look at Jesus. Just as Cain's hatred led him to take that most precious thing, life itself. John, he contrasts that with Jesus, who in love lays down his life for others. Jesus gives up what is most precious, the most valuable thing he has. He gives up his very life for us. That's love. But this love is not something for us simply to admire from a distance, although we should admire it. I think the really confronting part for us is that this love, his love, is presented to us as the example for us to follow, the love we are meant to show to others, which is what he goes on to say in the next part of that same verse. This is love that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I think it's probably unlikely that any of us are going to be called upon to actually give up our lives in a, in a great act of sacrifice for another person. It could happen. Probably not likely. But laying down our lives for others is, is a larger concept than that. It's something that we're all called to do. It's a picture of a love 
that is intensely practical, that is self-giving. That's what John goes on to say next in the very next verse. He says, think about this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. To love someone with words can be pretty easy, can't it? It can be easy just to say, I wish you well. I hope you get better soon. Um, Sorry to hear that things are hard for you at the moment. Now, those things are good things to say, and we ought to say them, as we ought to be free to express our love for other people in our words as well. But words can be cheap. Sentiments don't require much from us sometimes. John's saying our love needs to be more than that. It needs to be prepared to act, to do. And so he gives us this sort of example. He says if you know someone who's a part of your church, a brother or sister in Christ, and you see their need, and you have the means to help them, what would you do? The expression that gets translated in the NIV there, has no pity. If you see someone in this situation, you have no pity on them. The, the Greek is literally to close or to shut your heart. So you see the need. You can help, but you choose to close off your heart, to, to suppress those feelings of compassion, of love, those things that have prompted you perhaps to act. You lock off your heart and do nothing. And so John poses this question. He says, if that is how you can deal with others, he says, how can the love of God be in you? might seem harsh. For John, it doesn't make any sense that people who know God, people who have experienced the, the lavish love, the rich grace of God towards them in Jesus, for those people to so willingly close their hearts to a brother or sister in Christ. John suggests that if you can ignore the needs of people like that, then you can't have understood what God has done for you in Jesus. This is love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Throughout this letter, uh, John's been saying, I'll get to that in a minute. Throughout this letter, John's been saying that uh, love and obedience are a, a good gauge for how you're going as a Christian. And he wants to say that love is, in some ways, the evidence of a healthy faith. He says if you're obeying the command to love one another, then you can draw confidence from that. Take comfort in that. That's what he says in verse 19 to 22. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. 
If you belong to God, if God lives in you, you will obey his commands. You will be someone who seeks to please God with your life. Your actions will be consistent with what you believe. And John phrases this here as a a, a kind of a peacefulness, a confidence that we can have before God, a, a clear conscience before God. See, I think very often we're encouraged by the work we see God doing in the lives of other believers. We see uh, acts of service and love and, and change within another person and <clears throat> we thank God for that and, and rightly so. But I think we're often more reluctant to find any kind of assurance or encouragement through examining our own lives. And perhaps that's because we're acutely aware of our own failings, more so than we may be about other people. But John here encourages us to find comfort and to take confidence from the fruit of God's work that we do see in our own lives. I don't think he's telling us to glory in that or or to try and draw attention to ourselves because of it or to, to take pride in it. But it is something that we ought to thank God for and something that we can draw confidence from. See, God doesn't save us simply so that we can say that we are forgiven, so that we can declare that we are at peace with God, although that is true. God saves us in order to keep working on us, to keep changing us and transforming us, to make us into the people he's called us to be and intends us to be, created us to be. People who look more and more like the image of his son. So let me encourage you to to take some time this week to reflect on the changes that God has brought about in your life. To give thanks to God for that. For the love that he's planted and grown within your life. And as you reflect on that, take some confidence from it. Be encouraged by it. But, of course, there's a flip side to all of that, isn't there? And John talks about that too, that if your life is one that's not marked out by love, worse still, if it's full of hate, well, is it any surprise that your conscience will trouble you? If you're not living the way God has called you to, if you're resisting the change he wants to bring about in your life, then it's hardly surprising you won't have a lot of peace in your relationship with God. All throughout this letter, John makes the point over and over again that simply claiming to be a follower of God, claiming to be one of his children, doesn't necessarily make it so. There's going to be evidence of a life transformed. Evidence, as he talks about here, of love for others. Now, it's important not to get that the wrong way around. Uh, Luke made that clear for us uh, last week and the week before that, that you don't become a Christian or remain a Christian because of the things that you do. That's not what this is about. It's not what John is saying. In fact, I think to try and make make it clear for us, he explains it for us again in verse 23. He says, this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The first command is to trust in Jesus. Put your trust in him. But the second is 
to love one another. And the second comes out of the first. Love is the evidence of faith. The two things go hand in hand. And you, you can't have one without the other. So how's your love life? How are you going at loving other people? Is it a command that you take seriously in your own life? Do you put much time into thinking about how you can best love and serve? Well, let's start with the other people here. And then not just thinking about it, but actually doing something about it. You may already be working hard at this. I know many of you are. I want to encourage you to keep at that because it's hard. Easier said than done. And it's not, it's not terribly natural for us to want to lay down our lives for other people. This is something God has to teach us and we have to learn. We need to remember, though, that it is honouring to God when his people live this way, when they love one another from the heart and even sacrificially. It's a wonderful thing when Christians take that responsibility seriously to care for each other, when we sincerely desire to follow Jesus in this. And I find it always helpful to remember that even when other people don't see what you do, even if you don't get any thanks for it, perhaps even from the person that you're seeking to love, God sees what you do. He knows your heart and it's pleasing to him. But we all struggle to put this into practice. So let me offer you a few suggestions for how we can do that better as a community and even individually. Firstly, it's hard to love people you don't know. Being present at church on Sundays, it's not the be-all and the end-all, but it's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? Being where your fellow Christians meet together, where they are. Not just on Sundays, but at other times during the week. I think it's pretty hard to love people with actions if you don't actually know who they are or what's, <clears throat> pardon me, or what's going on in their lives. We need to be willing to get involved in each other's lives in a good way. Why don't you make it a priority over the next couple of weeks to introduce yourself to someone who is less familiar to you here at church? They might be new or they might have been here just as long as you, but you've never really spoken. Or perhaps you should take time to talk to a familiar face, but talk to them with some intent about things that matter. I think that's one of the reasons why the New Testament makes such a big deal about hospitality, spending time in each other's homes, sharing meals, because it's about sharing life together. It's hard for us to love people that we don't know, so we need to make time for that. Wouldn't it be great if people were able to notice the difference? The difference that Jesus makes when they spend time among us. Wouldn't it be great if people who did that were able to say, 
Those Christians are different, aren't they? The way that they love each other, the way that they care for each other, that's noticeable. More than a few people have told me that very thing about this church, how much they appreciate the love that either they themselves have received or that they've seen being extended to other people as a part of this church family. And I've seen firsthand plenty of beautiful acts of kindness and love. And without suggesting that there's no room for improvement, isn't that how it should be? That our love should be obvious, striking? So let me encourage you to keep at that and do it all the more. But for your own part, ask yourself, the hard questions that John asks here. How committed are you to loving the other people here? And what does that love look like for you? Is it the kind of love that pulls up at words or is it love in action? This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Tara's going to lead us in prayer.